in this episode, I get to sit down with my father for this special Father's Day edition. And this being season two, episode 50, it was only fitting. Being right around Father's Day weekend, I got to enjoy his presence. And really on the way home, I I was like, I got to be able to sit here and ask him these questions and just hear. And if you haven't done this before, and I mean interview your own parents, I highly suggest go do that because there might just be some things that you will learn about your own parents. So check out this episode. You'll learn a little bit about my upbringing and the issues that we had within our household and the decisions that he had to make as a father. And some of it might just blow your mind. So stay tuned and check out this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Forging Life podcast. I am the host, Trey Ryder, and the Forging Life podcast is about hardships, parenting, entrepreneurship, and the struggles that we deal with every single day. We will have many interviews with special guests, and you can actually see some of these interviews on YouTube, and you can even join the discussion by heading over to Facebook and typing up Forging Life Podcast and join our page. You guys... Thank you so much for coming in, and I hope you enjoy season number two of the Forging Life podcast. All right, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Forging Life podcast. I am your host, Trey Ryder, and today I have a special guest with me. I've actually known this individual for about 38 years, and uh, we've been through some great times, some tough times, and uh, even better times to come. And this individual, I have the um, privilege to call my dad. So welcome, dad. Ah, wonderful to be here. And for those that do not know you, uh, my dad goes by Easy, Easy Rider. Um, Is there any other names that you go by that people would really recognize you? No, uh, God-given name is Everett Rider, just as you. You know, since you're the third, you got the same name as me, but you go by Trey and I go by Easy. Uh, (laughs) So today, oh, go ahead, Dad. No, uh, since my dad was the first Everett George Ryder, I'm the second and you're the third. So today, the reason why I asked you to come on to the podcast is because of it being Father's Day weekend, which I had the great privilege to be with you. And it's been a long time since I've been able to really spend time with you on Father's Day. And this was a a unique day because of the fact when we came into town, it was also somebody's birthday. So had it just been uh, like one, a a birthday or just Father's Day, it's a lot harder for us to come through. But since it was a double whammy, it made it truly special to just have everybody together. And that's what I'm so thankful to really just have you in my life and be able to really support me on my journey. So thank you so much for that. And um, today in this episode, like I said, it's about learning about you as a father, the things that you've had to go through in these 38 years with me, uh, you know, with uh, my sister, one of my sisters, Carol, uh, you 
was it? It's uh, 43 years, I think it is, give or take. And just, I, I know when I asked you, you said, well, I don't really have anything to teach anybody, but there's so much wisdom that you can share with us. So first and foremost, how was it raising us as a child or children in your eyes? Oh, how blessed was I? You know, uh, I know with your mom, you know, when we got married, of course, she already had two other daughters at the time. And uh, I always wanted to have two children of my own and hopefully a boy and a girl. And she agreed to have one. And thus and behold, Carol came along, you know, and so I basically was raising Carol like I would my son, you know, and things I was interested in. I tried to incorporate that into her. So we had similar interests to do things together. And lo and behold, it was meant to be. And, you know, uh, you came along and I got my son too, you know, which was wonderful. That's all I ever wanted was two kids, not five. Although I did have my other two daughters, stepdaughters, but they're all my daughters. So, and I'm blessed enough that they all call me dad, you know, so what a family we have, you know, so, you know, uh, really so nice, you know, and then growing up and all, and I liked roller coasters and Carol liked roller coasters and then when you got old enough to ride the roller coasters, then I was left by myself again because you and Carol were taking over together. You know, I'm going, dang, ain't this something? And now I'm still by myself, you know, but uh, that's good because, you know, y'all's interests do mirror each other very similar, you know, and maybe that's because I raised each of you very similar to what I liked. You know, and maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, you know. Maybe what I liked wasn't necessarily the road you wanted to go to, but uh, so it's turned out, you know, and you followed your own path going into the Army, which I didn't even know you had signed up with the recruiter when you did, you know. Uh, all that was said and done by the time I found out about it, and you were... You, you and uh, one of your best friends at the time were headed off together with the buddy program. So how about that? You got to follow your dream almost uh, all the way to the end until you had your injury. But now, very, very good. Uh, so I would like to take it back just a little bit. When you first discovered you were going to be a father what was your reaction like because you said you you wanted to have two um do you recall when you first found out that um our mom was pregnant with carol how like emotionally how did that feel for you oh i was ecstatic really was you know uh because i really think if your mom had it had anything to say about it i'd you know, for sure she 
one more would have been enough for her, you know, but now my heart was just overjoyed really was. And yeah, I just, I just wanted to share my life with, uh, my kids, you know, and, uh, for us all to be together with similar interests instead of each, each being off on their own. So that, that turned out, uh, my heart was ecstatic when I found out that your mom was pregnant and it wasn't too long after we got married that she was pregnant. So that came along pretty quick. 1978, actually August 5th, her birthday's coming up. Absolutely. And when you first started having Carol, what were you doing for a job? Did it affect your job? Did it affect your uh, finances? How did you prepare to be a father in that? I was very fortunate at the time, Trey, because um, be right before Carol was being born, uh, you know, like, year maybe two years before that we were going through some very hard times very very hard times i mean uh, having to sell blood plasma just to put gas in the car and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner and stuff and so i basically started my career with the because i had my own construction company before that building homes and then in 19 january 5th, 1978 is when I started working for the, at that time it was Department of Defense and I was a wharf builder over at NOB Norfolk. And from January until about June, I was in the wharf building department and uh, very low grade pay grade, but it was getting my foot in the government door and ended up putting in papers for a joiner and I was supposed to go to Naval Air Rework Facility uh, with a pretty big promotion at the time from, I was the W work wage grade five and I was moving up to a nine. So that was pretty good step. And then I never, applied to Norfolk Naval Shipyard, but I never started at NARF. And I was getting ready to start NARF and the Naval Shipyard, they, there was a hiring freeze at NARF and they offered me a two year temporary appointment, which is unheard of. Nobody gets more than one year, but I had scored so high beating vets and everybody else out on my test that that's what they offered me. And then the Naval Shipyard got a hold of my papers, never applied there, and they were offering me a career conditional appointment. Went into there and uh, became a shipwright, which is uh, in the carpentry field. And uh, so I, I went from a WG-5 to a WG-10 overnight. And uh, actually when Carol was born on August 5th. I think I started in the Naval Shipyard 
Oh, probably right at the end of July. I know if she had held off being born like one week, my health insurance would have been in effect to cover the hospital bills. You know, it was that close. And, uh, but so thus started my career with Norfolk Naval Shipyard and that time was Department of Defense. And later in the years, uh, they changed the budget and it went to Department of Navy. So. So what you're speaking of, you had your own business as uh, doing carpentry or building homes or something of that nature. And then you went into a government job. Why did you leave being an entrepreneur and owning your own business into a government position? Because it almost sounds like you had... Uh, not necessarily you, but the world in general, was it hard times? Because you talked about the, the Navy or the shipyard um, was freezing hiring. And you also had left being an entrepreneur, your own business. So what happened there? Okay. Uh, one, the Naval shipyard did not have a hiring freeze. That was NARF, Naval Air Rework Facility. That was at NOB Norfolk. Okay, that particular area had a hiring freeze. That's why they offered me a temporary position. And I was working at NOB Norfolk in the wharf building department. So I was really just changing departments at that time. So the Naval Shipyard did not have a hiring freeze on at the time. To go back to when I had a Ryder Construction Company, that. You have to remember in the mid seventies was a building boom. I, you wouldn't remember, but it was, it was a lot of houses being built all over. And I needed three crews up and running to keep the business afloat and to go where I needed it to go. And I only had one crew and there wasn't anybody to hire for the other crews. And then my one crew wasn't that experienced that I had. And basically I had to be on the job site all the time for it to progress on. And I needed to be free to deal with building permits with the city and meet with inspectors and meet with new clients to set up new building. And I was unable to do that. So I, then I broke an ankle, one, an ankle up on a job and I had a cast with my foot twisted all the way up to my crotch and on crutches. And I wasn't supposed to be doing anything but house rest. And so basically the, business was failing since I had to pull out from being there. So I went and paid everybody off and closed the business out. And uh, that's when I went and took a job at, to try and get a government job within the system. So that's how I ended up going to NOB. NOB being Naval Operations Base, for those that don't know what it stands for. Thank you. That helps clarify a little bit there. Um, and then you you jumped in and 
you, I think it was 30 years that you went through with the shipyard. Is that right? 35 years. 35 years. And uh, recently retired uh, and enjoying the retirement life. So yeah. you, you talked about me uh, jumping into the military and um, that was right out of high school. And it came down to the fact that I just didn't want you to have to really support me as a, a child. You spent the 18 years doing that. And I felt that it wasn't your responsibility anymore. Once I was done with school, that, you know, it was my time to expand. So um, that was my thought process on part of that. And that actually leads me into another question that I was thinking about. You know, this is 20, was it 20 years ago? Um, so when I was 18 and I'm 38 now, so um, it, this was a very hard time. Right before I joined the military, I was put in jail at the age of 18. How did, well, like not how, but what was your thought process on all of that when that happened? I mean, I'm curious on a standpoint of a father having a son being put in jail and what was your thought process? What were you thinking? How would you handle it? I know how you handled it, but um, for you going through and handling it the way that you did, can you explain to people some of the thought processes behind that? Oh, my. Well, you weren't in jail for very long. <laughs> you know, I definitely could have been, though. Oh yeah. Well, because I, I mean, like, I mean, let's start there. Like, what did you have to do to even bail me out of jail? I had uh, I put the house up for collateral to uh, for your bond, and uh, that's how you got out. So uh, basically, put put the house that we had at the time and we weren't here that long um, what we moved shoot it wasn't too long at all you know well yeah i guess we were here 18 years so yeah i i had equity in the house and i had to put the what i owned on the house up for your bail uh not i was fortunate that i had that to do you know um I was very hurt. I mean, the biggest thing was, you know, uh, where the car car place that y'all got caught in were very good friends of ours and yours, you know, and really anything that you were really after in there, they probably would have given to you anyhow had you asked, you know. I mean, they had a whole storage room of stereos and stuff, whatever, that was just surplus stuff, you know, and that, I guess that was my biggest hurt, you know, is these were people I hung out with and partied with and you sort of grew up around the body shop there yourself at times, you know, so uh, uh, very, very embarrassed to have to go and confront them. But, and then, you know, once the police came, it wasn't like they could retract and not have you charged because it was already in motion. 
So it wasn't like, hey, we're going to press charges against Trey for doing this. Once the police responded and you were taken to jail, you were going to court for that. And it didn't matter if they were going to, you know, wanted to charge you or not, because they would not have charged you. And uh, that's just the way it was, you know, and, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, I didn't live a perfect life by no means, you know, I mean, I was just lucky enough never to got caught doing all the stuff that I did, you know, and you, you weren't quite so lucky. So it wasn't like I lived a life of pristine being a goody person and everything else that was far from, you know, it's just that, uh, a lot of the stuff that I had grown up with and stuff I had done in my past, uh, in later years, you know, I've gone back and confronted a lot of those people when on, after I retired and heavy into my spiritual path for the last eight and a half years, uh, I've gone back to the people that I could and confronted them and fessed up face to face. Cause they didn't even know, you know, some of the stuff, or they had no idea who did it because I never got caught, you know, but it was a matter of me clearing my conscious and my being of the bad things that I had done if it was within my reach to be able to do it, you know, but that's because I am who I am now, you know, and so, so blessed, you know, uh, my best friend, who's like my brother Floyd, you know, always said it, you know, out of all the people he ever knew, he never would have thought that my kids would have been the best kids of anybody he had ever known. You know, he always comments how well both of y'all turned out, you know, because he was, he was alongside of me for a lot of the stuff that we did that was wrong, you know, and here he's a multimillionaire, successful business person. So, you know, what's in the past, you got to learn from your past and be blessed that you're wise enough to learn. And there's a lot to unpack there as well, just in regards to your childhood. And you talked about you were just fortunate enough to not get caught and others, you know, everybody's going to get out there and do things that are stupid. And it's part of the learning process. And, you know, it's part of being a kid and growing up and understanding things too. And I would say for me and my children is the best thing to do is try to guide them and say, look, here's where I failed. And hopefully you, you don't have to go through those failures and, you know, do your own things but ultimately at the end of the day they're still going to go through the crap before they end up seeing some type of thing that we're talking about and going back to that car ride home when you got me out of jail that one night it was actually in the morning time the next day and there's only a few words that you had said and it still sticks with me today is i'm very disappointed in you and that was the only words that were said the entire car ride home. And 
that probably just cut me to the core more than anything. You know, the, the silence of what had happened. So it's something, it was something that I definitely had to go through and I learned from and ultimately what I was experiencing at that time, uh, for those that don't know, and maybe I've talked about it a couple times before, but um, at that body shop and, uh, you know, this lot of cars, we, my friend and I we were going through the different areas, looking at the stuff they had in the back. And we literally were turning to leave when we heard a shotgun pump and tell us to get on the ground. And we had nothing other than a, a flashlight and a friend had a, a razor blade on them. And uh, the charges that had stacked up were pretty, pretty significant. You know, grand larceny to conspiracy and trespass and burglary tools. So it was a, a lot of stuff there that, you know, some fathers would sit there and look at it and say, no, my, my kids are going to sit in jail. They're going to go through the process. So what made you think about not you're not necessarily that what thought process did you have about going through and getting me out as so to speak soon as possible instead of letting me sit there you're my son you know uh and you're so right uh sort of some of the subjects you were hitting on you know which i tried to do raising you up is I would always try and share my experiences on the negative side from what I had learned with you, you know, but there again, on the flip side of that, you know, I did my job by at least giving you my best information uh, to my experiences on things that weren't right. And I had to let you live and make your own decisions and be set, you know, satisfied with that's part. You know, I did my part by saying, hey, this could happen if you do that. You know, don't touch that stove. You're going to burn your fingers. You reach up and touch the stove. Well, guess what? You ain't going to do that again. But, you know, you could have avoided it because you were told before what would happen. You know, um, and yeah, you know, sometimes by people losing their temper and blowing up and cussing and shouting and all that, you mentioned that on some of your, uh, your own podcasts on dealing with your soldiers and stuff, you know, it's almost a lot of times you hit the switch and you don't what's being said, you just don't register with, you know, let, let them say all they want and, uh, okay, I get through this. So sometimes saying less is more, you know, and, you know, you think, you know, uh, as you can see this up here, VMI, Virginia Military Institute. Well, I went to Fork Union Military Academy my junior, senior, and postgraduate year of high school. You know, why? Because I was a damn delinquent. 
you know, and I wouldn't have, my grades weren't good and I would have never had my grades high enough to go to college, you know, but by me going to a military academy in high school brought my grades up and all where I was able to go and had the opportunity to go to college, you know. Uh, I only went there one year, ended up failing history and they wanted me to stay over the summer to take the course and I just needed a break from, again, that would have been my fourth year in a military academy. And I didn't want to spend my summer vacation in a military academy taking a course. So I went to Old Dominion to take history at night. Daytime, I was building houses, framing houses, because that was my summertime job to make money to pay for my spending money when I went to school. And I didn't keep my goals, number one, of what I wanted to do, you know, and uh, you have to set set your mind in the right direction. I wanted to be an aviator and fly in the Air Force, the biggest cargo planes I could fly and get out and go be a commercial airline pilot. That was my goal, you know, but carpentry was always in my blood. So did I hold those goals as number one and not letting anybody step between me and me attaining those goals? No. Sometimes when I'm supposed to be going to night uh, school and his for history, and I would cop out and go to the drive-in movie theater and watch a damn movie because I didn't feel like going, you know. So is that the right thing to do? No. But, you know, sometimes we're just guided in a different direction. Was I maybe meant to do that? Maybe at the time it was, you know, but... In reality, no, not really, you know, so. And once again, there's always a lot that I want to sit here and continue asking you. I'll try to be very mindful of everybody's time, but this, I'll be honest with you, it's one of my favorite episodes already, just because of the fact that it opens up different perspectives for different people. Uh, you know, when I'm sitting here and I'm doing the coaching thing now, and it's about teaching people these six pillars that I feel is very important to have a more balanced or stable life in regards to business or career, um, their relationship, the home, the health and fitness, the hobbies and recreation to uh, spiritual or religion. And some of these things that I, I want to kind of hit into the relationship portion, because this was a big factor in who I became as well. Uh, you had to make some very hard uh, decisions in your life in regards to being a father. And that was ultimately uh, stepping back as a husband and leaving the relationship. How did you come across those decisions to finally say you had to do what you had to do? Oh, those were very tough decisions, Trey. Uh, as you've spoken to in the past and all, your mom was a severe alcoholic. Um, and 
it, it's so strange listening to you and Carol talk about it because it was the same with me, you know, like you'd be coming home on the school bus or I'd be turning the corner coming down the street to home. And you just had that knotted gut feeling. You're going, oh, no. You know, and you knew that your mom was drinking even before we got here. You know, it was the essence of it was just there, you know, and she would just drink until she passed out. And uh, so she she had her demons for sure. She was in and out of rehab. I was fortunate I was with the government at the time. And she would max out substance abuse benefits with my health care. And fortunately, the next year, I'd be able to change health care provider and go to a different company. And it would start those benefits over. And she probably went through about four different companies worth of uh, rehabilitation. You know, and it was just not she was not able to beat that problem. You know, she died with that and actually found out that she had reincarnated and the people that were doing channeling for me told me that she had reincarnated and still had that stigma attached to her new life. And fortunately they got in touch with her soul and she gave them permission and they went and cleared some of that up that she was carrying through her whole life. So her new life, she would be better able to deal with it. It wasn't like they were able to take it all away, but they put it in a manageable situation. So at this time, she would just be a child or, you know, still very young, but at least now for her soul, it's, uh, put in her ability to do. So uh, getting back to your decision, you know, my decision of what it was like, it was extremely tough because I loved her until the day she died. I mean, with all my heart, but we had a very dysfunctional home, you know, uh, the way it was. And uh, she wasn't able to pull herself out of it. It was no situation that you children should have been having to continue to live with, you know, it had, to, you know, it was tearing at your soul and your sister's soul, just like mine. So it was a tough, tough decision, you know, but it was the right thing to do. And, you know, for all of our beings, you know, and, I know she loved me till the day she died and I loved her. We were truly soul partners, but it just had to be. And uh, there was many times I would push her off of, you know, we'd get into a fight together and, you know, she'd be all over me and I'd push her off of me. And we have rough plaster walls here and she'd scrape her face or, this and that. So she had marks on her and ultimately police were coming to the house multiple times over this situation, you know, which led up to us finally getting a divorce. And it had not, had it not been for 
you and your sister telling the police that all I was doing was trying to push her off of me and defending myself, I would have been arrested and taken it in for spousal abuse because she had the marks on her, you know, and it was only y'all speaking the truth that kept me out of jail, you know, so y'all did your part as well. So it wasn't only my struggle, it was both of y'all's struggle as well. So it was the right thing to do. And I don't regret it. I do it again, you know, so. And I, I was a culprit. I always looked at myself, you know, well, she wasn't that way when we got married, you know, but we partied hard all the time. You know, we drank all the time. And, you know, I'm going, I was, I held a lot of responsibility for her situation, I felt. You know, had it not been for me and had I not put us into that situation of life, you know, maybe it never would have happened, but maybe it would have, you know, so, uh, you know, it got into finger point. Well, you know, you're, do you're doing this. And then when I stopped drinking totally and all, and, uh, you know, then I was Mr. Goody Two Shoes you know, because she wasn't able to cope with it, you know, uh, did I, did I drink too much? Yeah. Did I ever classify, look at myself as an alcoholic? No, I did not. I mean, same like, you know, every year for usually a couple months, I would just stop drinking just so I could convince my own mind. I'm not under the alcohol control, I, my will was strong enough to do what I needed to do. You know, do I still drink? Yes, I do. Occasionally too much, but not normal. You know, uh, do I enjoy a drink? I certainly do, you know, and, but I try not to abuse it and you know, been down that road. So now if somebody else was going through that situation where, you know, they love somebody so much, but it's a toxic environment, what would you, what would your piece of advice be for them? You have to do what's right for yourself. I mean, neither you, me, or anybody can change somebody else that does not want to change. You know, it has to come from within inside of you that, you know, hitting rock bottom, I'm down here, I, this is enough. You know, you always hear rock bottom and Lord knows, I thought your mom was at rock bottom many, many times, you know, but she just wasn't able to beat it. And, you know, ultimately answer to your question you have to do what's right for yourself and or your children that might not have a decision uh, to make even if it makes you out to be the bad person if you recognize it's a toxic relationship or situation you can only change you you know it you can't change somebody else so you know, just like 
I would have no interest in ever thinking about dating somebody who smokes cigarettes. Why? My mom smoked a cigarette all the time. You know, your grandma had one burning. It didn't matter if she's smoking or not. Had to be burning in the ashtray. Well, no, my mom, your grandma, you know, your mom always smoked all the time. And I was fortunate enough, I quit when I was about 22, you know, and no, I don't care to be around it. I don't like it in my house, you know, and if you meet somebody, you can't expect them to quit smoking just because you think that's going to make the difference. Either you quit smoking for yourself or you quit drinking for yourself, or you quit doing drugs, whatever it is, whatever substance it is, it has to be a decision you make for yourself. And you cannot make a decision for somebody else and expect it to be realistically true because it's not gonna happen. And I'll do some uh, rapid answers, hopefully, with you. And then we'll wrap this up because we're coming up on the hour. So what are uh, three things, three to five things that you learned from your parents that you applied in parenting? And that can be either to do something to do as a parent or not to do. Well, you know, you always hear, I grew up in, you know, my bit, my dad used to beat me with a belt and this and that, and not saying he, I probably got whooped with the belt. My mom is more from my mom. My mom, my dad was a naval aviator. He was gone and mom was a disciplinarian and she was very hard. And I grew up in a military white glove inspection of my room for dust and everything else and the bed made you know those were the standards i had and so what did i learn from it that was a good thing to learn you know one thing you can always do at the beginning of your day when you get out of bed is to make your damn bed if you accomplish nothing else through the whole day, you accomplish that, you know, and to learn things that you didn't like from your parents growing up, you know, well, my dad used to beat me or hit me in the face with his fist, you know, not mine, but people that come from that. Well, if you didn't like it, why would you carry that on into your own family? You know, the excuse, well, that's the way I was raised. Well, you don't, if you didn't get, feel the love, happiness, and enjoyment out of what was the way you were being brought up, it's up to you to change that. Because again, only you can change you. You know, so like my parents, I think my dad only ever saw me play baseball once. My mom never did. You know, when I wanted to play JV football, it was up to me to get myself there and get myself home. And that was uh, many miles. You know, uh, if I wanted to do it, you go do it. But uh, so 
the things I didn't like in life, the way I was raised, I learned from it and I changed it. And I would not accept that into my parenting approach of raising my children. You know, you got to stop the pattern. And if the pattern's wrong, it's wrong. You know, we all know if it's what's right, what's wrong. We all know what love is. We all know what happiness is. And if you're not living from your heart, you know, you're not living right. You know, I, I even got a quote that I wrote down right over here. Wish I could tell you. It's something I heard recently. But you can't wait until life isn't hard anymore to be happy. You know? So strong and so true. Yeah. So did I answer that portion of your question enough? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it came down to one implementing uh, just accomplishing something first thing in the morning. Uh, with the bed, learn the things that you like from your parents or you don't like, and make sure you do either implement what you like or make sure you change what you don't like. That's correct. All right, Dad. So as we wrap up, what are three things that you would tell another father, um, like a piece of advice in regards to parenting for their kids? Okay. Well, one of them, Trey which I always told you and you've held it pretty strong in your heart is to be there for your kids. You know, so many people set their goals of, well, I got to make all this money to send my kids to this special school or to buy them this or buy them that or anything along those lines. And when all your kids really want is for you to be there. You, your kids want you to be at their baseball game. Your kids want you to be at their gymnastics or soccer game or whatever they're involved in. And that is that time spent with your children, you know, you can't ever go back and get later in life because your kids are no longer kids they are growing up you know and it's so important so you know I used to love play baseball myself you know or softball and I had to give all that up uh, with you and Carol because I kept both of y'all extremely active in your own things you know where carol was from age five to when she till she got to high school was in gymnastics and competitions and then uh, she also played softball and you were into little league baseball and played flag football for a short period you always wanted to play football but i wouldn't let you play tackle because you was just a little shrimp and I was always concerned that you'd get tackled and get more like permanent injuries that you might carry throughout your life. So even though I like football, I was fearful of the damage it could have done to you. So I tried to steer you in different directions, 
you know, so you played your baseball and got you involved in scouting and what wonderful times we had through scouting. Oh my gosh. Some of my best memories of, I was involved in boy scouts and only got to be a life and you made it all the way to Eagle and always wanted to go to Philmont, New Mexico. Well, you got to go and I got to go with you, you know, and 10 days trek in the wilderness. And we're talking truly wilderness out there. You had a map and a compass. There weren't trails in a lot of that hiking across unhiked places that you're imagining nobody's ever been and how many few people ever seen the sites that we saw, you know, and leave no trace. So you wouldn't walk in a single file, you spread out across the grass, grassland. So nobody was walking in somebody else's footsteps. So you didn't damage that. And you packed, packed out whatever you packed in, you know, you never left any trash and the wildlife and the scenery just off the chart. And then we went and did canoeing up in the wilderness in Maine for close to two weeks you know, and portaging canoes from one lake to another lake to another lake. And how hard was that when we had to cross these lakes and had a headwind? And you couldn't stop paddling because the wind would be blowing you backwards and you'd lose any gain that you had gotten. That, that was really tough, you know. And so that was some of your experiences before you went in the Army, you know, that you had to face yourself and me too, you know, because I didn't have those experiences before. So uh, answer is spend the time with your kids because you can never go back and replace that time. Is there two more that you would like to tell somebody else? Oh, that was only one. <clears throat> well, as you know, live from your heart, you know, your heart should always be full of love and don't allow those negative influences into your heart and life. You have to make those decisions to separate yourself from that, to keep your love in your heart big enough to share with your children. You know, that's love is what we all need. And I guess the third, which the other two will lead into is happiness, you know, because if you're happy with, happy with who you are and then your children will see that happiness within you and they will be happy. So thus you're sharing your happiness, your love and your time with your children. So those are the three most important things I think any parent can do to keep their family on track. All right. So thank you so much for being here and enlightening us on your thought processes. And I love exactly what you're, you're speaking about. Um, basically just being present, live from the heart and, you know, show true happiness with each other. And it's, it's a, a great, approach to a strong family and as you can hear the baby crying in the back so we'll jump off of here and uh 
my last parting words for everybody is if you haven't spoke to your father, um, I, I suggest you guys go interview your father because you just might find out something that uh, reasons that they're doing um, that you had no clue why. So I guess you guys go do that. With that being said, I'll jump off here so I can go be a father and make sure that I take care of uh, my daughter as well. So, Dad, thank you so much for jumping on here with us today. Um, I love you very much, and I appreciate you taking this opportunity to enlighten us and some of your, your thought processes that you had. I thank you very much. And just as thing I want to share is we one thing that Trey and I always have and my, and Carol is we do have a direct link, a minimum of once a week that we talk and truly have the time to talk usually much more than an hour, you know, and you know, I'm fortunate that Trey's able to bounce questions off of me and uh, Trey poses his questions to me. So makes me think and keeps myself on track and I'm so blessed. So I thank you very much. My heart to yours. Oh, thank you, dad. I love you and I appreciate you being here. All right, good night, everybody. As always, everybody, make the rest of your day the best of your day. Thank you for taking the time and listening to this podcast. If you're enjoying the Forging Life podcast, I ask you this. Take a moment and head over and rate this podcast. If you're listening to it on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you enjoy the most, please just take a moment so that way it will help get this episode or episodes into the ears of somebody else and if you would like to join the discussion make sure you head over to the facebook page forging life podcast and join us there